Welcome to Mill Liberty, the voice of liberty for a new generation. Alright, Joe Walsh, Matt Kitty, John Sasso, welcome to Mill Liberty. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Hey, Caleb, I mean this. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invite. This week, we are going to be going over the myths and realities that surround monopolies. Teddy Roosevelt hated, hated small government. The gateway into space will help alleviate a lot of this problem. It was a fateful era we took 100 years ago with this kind of monopolization of banking and centralization of money and credit. Automation, streamlined productivity, and cost-effectiveness. There's two big government parties, and one of them is, is red and one of them is blue. We are creating a community of liberty lovers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Liberty, and I am your guest host for today's episode, Brian Nichols from The Brian Nichols Show. Our dear uh, friend Caleb Franz is off today, and actually he's off next week as well, and uh, Caleb reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in being a guest host uh, for this week and next week's episodes of Liberty. and I said, Caleb... Your wish is my command. You say jump and I say on who. So here we are today at the Brian Nichols Show taking over the Maliberty podcast. And uh, today you're going to hear, if you're a longtime listener of the Brian Nichols Show, an episode that you heard last week. Uh, but if you're a, a Maliberty podcast listener, then this is going to be a great treat for you. But also maybe a, a little uh, sneak peek into why you should be a, a podcast subscriber to my show, the Brian Nichols Show, as I said, over on the We Are Libertarians Network. So for this episode, it is a re-air of my conversation with the libertarian redhead, uh, as you guys probably know her over on Twitter, um, but her name is Elaine Joan, and Elaine is a, uh, a longtime Libertarian Party political vet, and uh, she basically goes through and has helped uh, dozens of campaigns, Libertarian, uh, um, namely amongst them, to, uh, to number one, actually have a chance <laughs> in their, their local electorates, but uh, she joins the show to discuss uh, how Libertarians can quote-unquote win in 2020, and obviously we discuss the, the Libertarian nominee process, but more specifically, just in general, what a libertarian candidate has to do in order to be a viable candidate uh, on the, the, the national platform there in 2020. So guys, I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you do, please give a, give Caleb a shout and give him a heads up that you guys enjoy the episode. And if you do enjoy the episode, swing over to the Brian Nichols show over in the We Are Libertarians Network, a part of all the great episodes uh, as a part of the show, but also as a part of our network from uh, the Brian Nichols show, the, the, the big channel, We Are Libertarians, Tad Talks, the Boss Hog uh, of Liberty, uh, what else, Jim uh, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart. There's a ton of great shows over there. Um, so go ahead and make sure you give them a listen. But you know what? Without further ado, on to the show. Elaine Joan here on The Brian Nichols Show on the Liberty. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for joining us today on a uh, a not really uh, nice Tuesday here. I'm raining from Philadelphia and it's it's raining here uh, in Philly and it's a kind of a, a murky day. But I'll take the, the colder temperatures now versus what we had this past weekend where, as <clears throat> people can probably hear from my voice, it's still a little cracked because it was 67 degrees <laughs> over the weekend here in Philly. So my body's wow. trying to play catch up, but uh, hopefully all is well over in, uh, in your neck of the woods. It is. It is. We had a pretty mild day. It seems like we're going to have a pretty mild week and then it's going to get cold again this weekend. So, so I'll take it while it's here. Where Whereabouts are, uh, are, are you stationed there, Elaine? I am currently in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. now people who are hearing your name, Elaine, they're like, who? Well, you probably know her as the libertarian redhead on, on Facebook and Twitter. Now, she is not the redhead libertarian, but the, the libertarian redhead. And I, I have to make sure I, I say that because I've actually had Josie, the redhead libertarian on my show back, I think in 2018, 2018, 2019. I had Josie on couple that was a, is a while ago it seems like now um but today elaine we're, we're having you on the show because you're more involved in libertarian politics and i say big l libertarian politics and i wanted to kind of get your perspective um being someone who you know boots on the ground you're you're in this every single day to kind of say like where is the libertarian party right now as we head towards the 2020 election and you know, it's hard to imagine we're only, you know, 10 short months away from the uh, the general. And uh, right now we're obviously in the process of trying to figure out who the libertarian presidential nominee will be. So that's what I wanted to focus on today. But first, I love for my audience to get to know who my guests are. So, Elaine, with that, 
kind of give us your intro into uh, number one, you're, you're starting off at, into liberty politics and, and more specifically libertarian politics, but also kind of what was your journey, your pathway uh, towards liberty? Um, It started when I was a teenager, so I have actually never belonged to any other party besides the Libertarian Party. Uh, And I say that because it always cracks me up when people get mad at me online and they're like, well, just go back to the Republican Party or go back to the Democratic Party. Well, that would be great if I had ever belonged to either one of them, but I haven't. So I, in high school, became kind of politically aware. I was raised in a conservative household. I didn't really think too much of it. And then we had gay marriage debates when I was a teenager. And in my head, I just kept thinking, I, I do not understand why anyone at the government level is preoccupied with who anyone else marries. So I, I, was, I became a keen observer of politics and we had the, the election cycle then was very interesting. And then we had another very interesting election cycle when Obama was elected when I was in college. And right around that time is when I discovered Ron Paul. And until that point, I had always thought I was just sort of politically homeless and there weren't a whole lot of people like me. And then Ron Paul was kind of the the person, a.k.a. the book, um, that brought me into the Libertarian Party, as it were. I was a Libertarian for many years and then in 2017 finally joined formally the Libertarian Party after a friend of mine just kind of tongue in cheek said, well, if you're so upset about the election, why don't you do something about it? <laughs> so I did. I created a Facebook page. I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I just thought, I'll just get my voice out there and then we'll see where it goes. And that was in January of 2017. Uh, The Twitter page, I'm not exactly, I don't exactly remember how, how long after the Facebook page showed up that the Twitter page came up, but that has now happened as well. And I use both of them just to talk to people and talk about politics. And I love the Twitter platform because obviously you can interact directly with a lot of elected representatives and Mm -hmm. things like that. I think that that's very important for the the democratic process, for them to hear us and for us to hear them in their own words versus little sound bites that the media will feed you. So I I enjoy both platforms for different reasons and that's where you can find me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually a great point because really when you look at like, like let's just take Twitter, right. For example, because I think Twitter (laughs) easily is the, the best example of this, right? Twitter has the ability for you, like you mentioned to literally just respond to a tweet by name, you know, celebrity politician, prominent libertarian Republican democratic thinker and they can see it and and likely they do see it and you get the chance to actually have a real you know real conversation a real back and forth dialogue with someone who otherwise i mean how else would you see them i mean maybe when you're out and about and they're at, you know a campaign stop or or what have you but otherwise they're pretty much they're they're completely you know sectioned off from the rest of us and the only way to really talk to them or to get to know what they they believe was through the confines of the corporate media. So now we we've been able to bypass that. And I, I mean, truth be told, that's Twitter's how I've gotten a lot of my awesome guests on the show. I mean, from Jeffrey Tucker to Larry Sharp to Justin Amash to Thomas Massey. You know, sometimes all it took was just you know a, a friendly little de- direct message to them, and you know somebody from their staff reaches out or what have you. Or in some cases, they'll reach out to you directly themselves. So. That, for me, has shown just, number one, the value of what we're preaching in terms of, you know, trying to expand the marketplace, create more opportunity. And, and you know, in this case, it's more opportunity for media out there. And it's really giving us as libertarians, I think, a better chance to have a larger voice and, and in many cases, a louder, a louder voice than we would have otherwise had. I think so, too. I've actually I went to a conference back in October in New Hampshire, and it was for the, the um, problem solvers convention or the no labels convention. And they claim to be nonpartisan, but they're definitely partisan. Uh, and there was this slide that I just found so hilarious. I snapped a picture of it and sent it to Thomas Massey on Twitter. And I just said, look at this nonsense. And he responded back to me and was like, oh, that's hilarious. And we like had a little back and forth about it. There's nowhere else on the internet that you can do that. And so I think that it makes Twitter as a platform kind of valuable for people like us. Oh, without a doubt. Like, I wouldn't be able to do my job. And I say my job being a libertarian podcaster. Um, but I wouldn't be able to do that without having, you know, the access, you know, to, to you know, either Twitter or Facebook. And, and despite Facebook, you know, trying to, to, you know, censor a lot of, 
libertarian or just pro-liberty views. I mean, liberty memes just got suspended for, I think, for the third time after they reached 75,000 um, likes again. And their first page, I think, had close to half a million. Um, so, you know, we, we see companies like Facebook who have kind of been, you know, starting to, to rein in on the, the more pro-liberty speech. Um, but hey, at least we still have a, uh, a nice, you know, relatively safe haven on, on Twitter. Um, well, to, to an extent, I guess we'll, we'll say. But uh, hey, that's where I got to, to interact with you. And obviously, like I was discussing before, libertarian politics seems to be kind of, um, you know, your forte, but also something that I've been trying to dabble more and more in. Um, you know, I just recently joined the, the Libertarian Party because... I was told, you know, Brian, you, it's great that you have opinions on everything about the Libertarian Party, but, I mean, what what's it really mean if you have an opinion and you're sitting from the sidelines not really doing anything? And I was like, you know, that that's a good point. So, if uh, if people wanted to join the Libertarian Party like I did, they can go to lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols show um, and sign up there. Uh, but I've been getting a lot more involved in the Libertarian Party, and with that, trying to figure out who's going to be our nominee for the, uh, the presidency as we get towards 2020. Um, so, let's kind of start off here going through some of the candidates. Um, so, Elaine, based on just kind of your reading the field, right, who would you say kind of right now is some of the, the top names out there that people should be looking to as a potential candidates for the Libertarian Party, as we, especially as we get towards the convention here um, for yes. the Libertarians this spring? Absolutely. So we can't have this conversation without discussing what happened last weekend or actually within the last week. Kim Ruff and John Phillips both decided that they were going to suspend their campaigns for president and vice president. They were running as a slate. They both suspended their campaigns. So John is no longer running for vice president. Kim is no longer running for president. She was early on the favorite. And mm-hmm. then earlier in the week, we had Lincoln. I, I always get his last name wrong. Is, is, is it Chafee or Chaffee? I, I always I feel bad Chafee. when I mispronounce people's names. You know, I, 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 I laugh because I remember him on the Democratic debate stage in 2016 when he was running against Hillary, Hillary Bernie, and uh, what was that no-name governor? Um Oh, goodness, I forget oh, his name. Um, I can't uh, remember, Martin, so clearly it wasn't important. Matt Mal- <laughs> Mal- Malloy, Martin, regardless, he's he's a nobody now. Um, but Lincoln Chafee <laughs> ran, and he was on stage. Oh, and, and him, Jim Webb. I forgot about Jim Webb. Jim um, Webb. I did <laughs> like Jim Webb, actually. So Chafee's on stage, and, and he was trying to be the, quote-unquote, you know, non-intervention, uh, no, no foreign wars candidate. And mm-hmm. he kind of, like, I think he assumed that Bernie was going to take up that mantle, and he just kind of faded into the the you know netherworlds of the democratic establishment, never to be seen right. from again. And then he just rears his his head as a libertarian now. Which hey, listen, if he's had a change of heart in the past four years of saying this whole democratic party thing isn't working for me, and honestly, he did the same thing back when he was a Republican, because um, he was a Republican governor from from Rhode Island. Um, right. You know, I'm I'm all for it. Like, hey, if you've all of a sudden had a come to Jesus moment that you want to be a libertarian, like, dude, good on you. That being mm-hmm. said. Um, that being I, said, so want, those two things happened within the last week, right. and that, I think, changes the makeup of the field considerably. Uh, Lincoln Chafee is one of the only um, candidates that are running for the nomination, I believe, that have any government experience at all, legislative experience as an elected official. I believe Ken Armstrong, one of the other candidates, has also been an elected official, but I believe that was kind of at the municipal level or maybe even lower than that, like a, a county board or something like that. So they, he's Lincoln Chafee's the only one who's had experience at the federal level as a former governor and I believe senator as well. So he has that edge over all of the other candidates. And I actually advise a lot of candidates that don't have a voting track record for voters to look at when they're running for office the first time, I encourage them to plan at least three to five years prior to them actually running for office to start taking legislative action, start planning days off from their job, go to the se- go to the sessions, go to meetings with your with your U.S. senators before they're about to vote on something or not U.S. senators, I'm sorry, state senators, go meet them, go talk to them so that at the very least you can tell a voter, well, I've worked with this Senator on this legislative issue and this one on this issue so that they may not have a voting record to look at, but they at least have a sort of idea of what your legislative agenda might be if you were elected. Mm -hmm. And there's, and I don't think any of the other candidates have really done that. If they have, I haven't seen evidence of it. I know some of them have run for offices previously and not been successful, if that's the only kind of campaign experience that you have under your belt, I think that's a problem. 
Oh, so (laughs) I do think Chafee has that over the other candidates that he has federal experience as an elected official. And you you can't just push that to the wayside and say it doesn't matter. It absolutely does. Yes, it's actually funny you mentioned that because I on I forget which show. Actually, I think it was when I was on uh, Stephen Ignoramus's show back a couple of months ago. It was him, or maybe it was the gentleman over at the Friends Against Government there with a burden car. I think actually it was there. And I was discussing um, you know when you have people who are running for elected office, people like to have people who, yes who are principled, but and that's obviously what we're looking for in a libertarian candidate is somebody who's actually a libertarian, but people are also looking for some, some form of credibility, right? And, and how do you decide what is credibility? Well, you know, you can look to somebody who has maybe experience in the private sector and they can tout that experience. Or in many cases, when we're looking at people running for elected office, it's people who are in government. Um, and you, you look at pretty much any candidate who has run for a major party office over the past, I mean, what, we'll say 20 years. And I would say what 95% plus of them all have some form of elected official experience in some capacity, be it local, state, or, or you know, at a national stage. So, you know, when you have somebody like a Lincoln Chafee, I, I think it brings a quote-unquote level of credibility to the Libertarian Party. Um, but on the flip side, you know, how principled is the person? Are they actually a Libertarian? I mean, I, I don't want to get into, you know, party politics and squabbles, but like Nicholas Sarwark was debating Dave Smith at the Soho Forum, and, you know, he said, you know, well, yeah, if, if Dick Cheney ran as a Libertarian, then yes, you should support him. And it's like, well, Dick Cheney isn't a Libertarian, so why would we support that statement that statement assumes that dick cheney even makes it through the nominating process because the convention delegates would just tear him to pieces <laughs> and any other candidate like that because we are in I, I think i've told i've told someone this before we don't want to have a repeat of bill welt we don't want to have a repeat of someone who says i'm committing my life to you i want to marry you so to speak and then they ghost you three months later. Mm-hmm. We don't want that again. So we have, as a party, we have trust issues and they are completely understandable. If you know the history of the party and know the history of our previous presidential candidates, we have a right to be suspicious and we have a right to be, to treat some candidates that that kind of bounce around through different parties as Lincoln Chafee has, to treat them with a little bit of suspect, um, suspicion as it were. And we have a right to question them and say, are your motives really pure? Do you really want what's best for this party? Or are you looking to elevate your your own name or come come away with some kind of political capital or set yourself up for something else to move on to? We don't we don't want to just be this kind of clearinghouse where candidates just come and go. We want people who are going to stay. And I think. Gary did a really good job. A lot of people disagree with Gary on policy issues, but there aren't a lot of people, if you if you ask them, there are not very many people that dislike Gary as a person. And I think that's important too. So your candidates have to be likable and understandable and relatable. I've sat and had pizza and beer with Gary and talked to him about the things about which I disagreed with him on. And I would love to get that feeling from any other candidate that I would support for president. I want to feel like I can sit down with them, drink a beer, discuss how we're different and come away with it saying, you know what? I still don't agree, but I respect this person. And I think that they're still going to be a really good representative of me and of the party. <laughs> I I'm like Larry Sharp. I use the 80, 20 rule oh, because I think, I, I think it's true. You're never going to find a candidate that agrees with you 100%. If you do, it's probably yourself. You're probably the one running for office. Oh my God, so, that's so true. As long as you have the big things covered and the things that are within your purview to cover now as a president, you have most things are under your purview. But if you're running for state senate or state rep or something like that, don't let people ask you about immigration unless you're in New Mexico, Arizona, California, or Texas, because that doesn't have anything to do with you if you're a senator from, I don't know, Nebraska. Like, you don't have any control over Everybody wants to talk about corn in Nebraska. Come on. (laughs) Right. Talk about your ag... Your, your agricultural issues and things that face, you know, everyday citizens. And a lot of citizens don't want to draw those distinctions between levels of office. And I think that's a problem, too. So there's a voter education issue at play here. Libertarians face it every four years and even more often every time we run for any kind of local office. We mm-hmm. get somehow lumped in. I've even had people say, oh, Ron Paul, he's like Bernie Sanders, right? And I'm <laughs> like, no, 
No, no not he, at all. He, he please is, erase he is the that opposite. from your memory and never say it again. He, he is literally the opposite, not true. opposite of Bernie. Please, <laughs> no, no, no. Don't don't soil the great Ron Paul's name by saying he is basically Bernie Sanders. I mean, yeah, what, he, like, he's old I, and he has a political movement. That That's that's about oh where the similarities gosh. lie. I think they could tell by the look on my face when they said it that they were very, very wrong. But... Yep. <laughs> Well, let's be let's be real, right? Like one of the big problems that the Libertarian Party has is is PR and marketing, right? I mean, I my my yes. daily job is in sales, and and it's tough to sell a product if the product is is you know weird or it's not a good product, and you're like, but I promise that it will do what you need it to do, and they're like, they'll look at the product and be like, are you sure? And and honestly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Elaine, but it kind of feels like. The Libertarian Party has has adopted this this I don't know persona, shall we say, of just mm-hmm. being this goofy. Yeah, you know, and it might be Gary's fault. And and I say that I I think Gary, like you said, I think he's a nice guy. There's a lot I disagree with him on in terms of policy. Um, but like you know, sticking his tongue out like when he did that one interview and he said, and I'm like Gary, what are you doing? Like Gary's a big goofball, which is great, but should a goofball be running for president? I don't know. Like I'm a little on the fence about that. But, and, yeah. and here's the thing with Gary that a lot of people don't understand, especially if they've never been to New Mexico. I, I sent you my bio earlier. I worked in New Mexico in 2018 for a super PAC when Gary ran for U.S. Senate. And it took me about a week of being there before I texted a friend of mine who works for LP. And I said, I totally see why Gary was governor twice here, because now I've lived here or I've visited here. In the end, I lived there for almost uh, 12 weeks. So... I got a really good sense of the state and the kind of people that live in the state and the way that the culture is kind of mishmashed there between um, white immigrants, you know, that their ancestry is white immigration, that they just crossed, you know, the United States. There are many, many immigrants from Mexico that that have always lived there. You know, they didn't change. The border changed when we purchased Mm -hmm. that land to run a railroad out to California. So they've always been there. And then there's also this native culture as well. And all of those three things together is just so unique to that area of the country that not everybody who who is from there is going to translate and make sense to everyone else in the United States. It's just not going to happen. So that being said, you have to it's imperative that you find a candidate that has mass appeal, because if you don't have a candidate that has mass appeal, you are not going to get anywhere. I, I cannot agree more. And, and and with that, let's kind of like dig into some of these uh, these candidates that we have running right now. Yeah, so, let's finally get there. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're only 20 minutes into the podcast and we're just getting to the candidates for 2020. But, you know, it's because we're having a good conversation here, which I love here in the Brian Nichols Show. Uh, so let's kind of go through some of these candidates and, and people are going to hear, you know, some names that are familiar. Um, obviously, we, we just discussed Kim Ruff. Um, Dan Taxationist Theft Berman, uh, Jacob Hornberger, who has recently announced, um, he's more of like the Tom Woods crowd. Dave Smith has been pushing for him as well. Um, Arvin Vora, who has been on my show, uh, show former Libertarian uh, Party National Committee Vice Chairman. Uh, Lincoln Chafee, as we discussed. Um, oh my goodness, there's there's a couple others I'm, I'm forgetting off the top of my head here. Um, you want to help me out there? And, and Oh yeah, Vermin Supreme, obviously. I forgot about Vermin Supreme, who just won the 2020 New Hampshire Libertarian presidential primary um, with 18.57% uh, of the vote, which translates to about 26 votes there um, for their 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 primary. So beyond those those candidates, or maybe let's just kind of like keep it to those candidates. I mean, Adam Kokesh obviously has, has announced he's running, but um, mm-hmm. you know he didn't even make the uh, the Libertarian presidential primary list. Um, but is there any anybody else that you've heard that's running that maybe I I forgot here that could make some some you know some name recognition or you know make some some waves here in the, in the greater movement? I think within the Libertarian Party, uh, Joe Jorgensen is also running. And so I don't know how to say her name, but I think it's Soria Foss from Florida. She's running. She's a former Republican. Mm, I'm not familiar with her. (laughs) I I don't think she went to the new North Carolina um, debate that they had, which is going to be the only presidential debate. So she didn't go there. She wasn't in New Hampshire. I don't think she's really been traveling very much to go to any state conventions other than Florida and maybe Georgia. Um, the Georgia convention hasn't happened yet, so I don't know if she's going to go to that one or not. But I, this is a problem I've had with other candidates in the past, and I was critical of Kim of this as well. 
when she talked about running for president, I, I was very vocal about this. I said, if you are a candidate that has a full-time job and a family, and this goes for any candidate that this applies to, if you have a full-time job and a family and everything else, you have to remember that as a candidate, it is your full-time job <laughs> to campaign for president. Yep. And that is a six to eight month process. So if you are not able to take a sabbatical from work for six to eight months and campaign every single day, then you will cost the Libertarian Party ballot access in multiple states. That is the reality of it. Gary got over four million votes and we had 50 state ballot access for the first time in I don't know how long. And then a few states were very quickly kind of fell off of that. I think we lost ballot access in like five states. Um, I know Tennessee refused to give the Libertarian Party uh, ballot access, even though I believe Gary met the threshold. But we we only have half a million registered Libertarians. He got over four million votes. So there are people that are not registered with the Libertarian Party that are willing to vote Libertarian for the right candidate, but they have to meet you, which means you have to travel. You have to hold town halls. You have to be in the media. Gary was actually able to do that. So if you're a candidate and you're planning to run for president and you have all of these things that draw your time away from campaigning, you have to plan for that. And you also have to ask yourself, is that going to be what's best for the party as a whole? Mm -hmm. Because having ballot access in 50 states means, for people that don't know, if you get ballot access during a presidential race, you keep ballot access typically for four years after that. So if you cost a state ballot access, um, and I'm most familiar with the ballot access laws in Tennessee, currently it costs about a quarter of a million dollars if you get ballot if to get ballot access in that state because of the number of signatures that you have to collect. And, and it's too many for volunteers to do on their own. And what's, so, it's, what's messed up is people will be like, well, you know, you, you just got to trust the democratic process. It's like, well, you know, we, we trust the democratic no. process if we could you know, freaking get on the ballot. But like when you have to it's pay fixed. a quarter million dollars, the it's democratic almost impossible. process is fixed. That's oh. what it is. I just yeah. I just retweeted a thread where I explained to someone why Tennessee doesn't have ballot access. It takes 55,000 signatures of registered voters. When you collect a signature from someone, you don't know whether they're registered or not. You can ask them. And they can say yes, just because they're signing a paper to get you to go away. Or they can say yes, thinking they are, but they might be registered with an old address in another county or who knows. So the validation rate is what counts. So if you turn in 50,000 signatures, the state can come back and say, by the way, only 30,000 of those signatures yep. were validated. Yep. So we need you to go collect 20,000 more to meet that threshold. So you always have to mm -hmm. plan for that when you plan for ballot access, which means you have to pay for more signatures than what you need because a contractor is never going to accept payment for only the validated signatures. And, and let's be real too. Like the, the Democrats and Republicans have done a phenomenal job of, of governing crisis to crisis because every freaking election, they always do this whole, like this is the most important election <laughs> of our lifetimes. And I, if I had, you know, every important election of my lifetime being the actual elections that they are, I mean, we, we've had like what, probably like 30, freaking elections now at this point in time whether it's it's the presidential election or the midterm elections they're all super 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 important i mean i was just I, i'm old enough to remember back in 2018 a short two years ago when we were told that if the democrats did not win back the house that trump was gonna you know turn into like super hitler and destroy the entire planet um but like <laughs> it's it, it's it, it scares people because people buy into this BS and they're like, I can't I can't not vote for Trump because that means that that crazy communist will get elected. And I'm just saying crazy communists generically because they're all running as communists today, it seems like. Um, but on the flip side, you have the left saying we, we can't we can't vote for the libertarian because that crazy fascist Trump is going to win again and he's going to put everybody in concentration camps. And it's like right. if, if you're in that mindset, first and foremost, like. I'm sorry, it's, it's going to be almost impossible to have a conversation with you because you're not looking at things realistically, number one, um, but you're not taking things seriously. And, and it's funny because they act as if they're taking things super seriously, but it's like, are you really like, are you really objectively looking like let's let's kind of look at Trump versus Obama versus Bush versus Clinton. What's honestly like? What's really different between those those four you know presidents? They they have very similar economic policies. They have very similar healthcare policies. They've had very similar foreign uh, foreign uh, foreign policy beliefs, and yet 
we're, we're told that if we vote for the other party, that America as we know it is going to cease to exist. And I think it just instantly puts libertarians at a, a distinct disadvantage because we really haven't had the chance to, to prove our, our, our worth and prove that our ideas win. So, I mean, personally, I'm a big fan of, of saying libertarians stop running for president. Like if, if you're, you know, Dan taxation is theft Berman, right? Like don't run for president, run for like school board, run for your city council, run for, you know, mayor. I don't care what, whatever it is locally, show what we are doing and what our ideas are, show that they work and show that they actually help people like real people, not just like this, you know, this, the platitudes and, you know, trying to, to make grandiose statements. Um, like, you know, poor Gary, he got stuck on stage trying to say that libertarians are are, are fiscally conservative and socially liberal. It's like, yeah, Gary, like that's not what it means, but I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to like bring people trying from the to left make and the it right. easy for voters to understand when they get so wrapped up. I, okay. So after 2018, after I had to deal with voters on a day-to-day basis and in the last couple of weeks of the Senate campaign, all we were doing was get out the vote texts. And when you send out 55,000 texts in a week, you get some responses. So I actually had an opportunity to talk with a lot of voters in New Mexico. And granted, that's just one subset of the country in one state. And we were hitting everybody from 18 to 40 because I was like, no millennial has a landline. So what are we doing doing phone calls? Let's just do texting. So we did that. We got a lot of really good responses. I was able to kind of use humor sometimes to like flip people. And that was really cool. But I also was firsthand witness to a lot of voters just buying into the fear mongering. They just, they're scared. They're scared about their way of life. And libertarians, we tend to take the high road on the campaign trail, which is great. But when the other candidates don't, it puts us at a disadvantage. And that can be very difficult to recover. I, from. I can literally hear Larry Sharp right now. Just be like, you're scared. I get it. You're scared. You don't want to vote for somebody <laughs> else because you're scared. Like I can, I can hear him screaming that right now. And because it's true, fear sells. It's true. I mean, yeah. what's one of the longest adages uh, or oldest adages in, in newspaper? If it bleeds, it leads. And that implies that if it bleeds, it means that there's something, you know, there's something dramatic that's happened, whether it's a, a war or it's, you know, it's, it's a domestic incident at home like whatever it may be they're gonna put that on the front page because it makes it seem like things are a lot worse than they are but then you look at the numbers right like let's look at the actual like numbers of how poverty is declining how you have education across the world increasing you have you have people who are you know earning more and more money than has ever been recorded in human history it's like are things really as bad as people say yeah i mean we have a lot of crappy things that are happening around in society right now but like if if we were to like say okay you know, John Doe, if we were to take John Doe and say, you are going to go live in 1845 and you are going to have to live your life in 1845 without anything you have here in 2020, what's he going to say? Uh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Or he's going to say in 2020. Chances are nine times out of 10, he's going to say, I'm going to stay here in 2020. And that one time out of 10, he goes back to the 1840. He's going to say, get me the freaking hell back to 2020. Because th- like, if you were a, a peasant, here in 2020, you were living like a king did back, you know, hundreds of years ago. You have, you know, in many cases, central air. You have access to, to food pretty much any street corner. I mean, we have so much food here that a lot of it just goes to waste. I mean, the, the way that we live our lives right now in 2020 versus how it used to be is night and day. So to say that things are like, you know, just completely, you know, going down the tubes and things are just terrible for everybody across the world. Everybody knows it's BS, but nobody really wants to talk about it because, again, people want to feel like, you know, that they're oppressed and that the reason maybe they're not where they want to be in life is because of some, you know, some external force that's keeping them down. I mean, that's why I'm a big fan of Jason Stapleton talking about instead of, you know, saying how can we uh, impact politics to to impact our, our lives, impact your own personal life first. Like better yourself. Make yourself the the best version of yourself to then when you go out into the world, you can you can pretty much stand on your own two feet, you know, politics be damned, elected officials be damned, regulations be damned, and make a living for yourself and actually make a substantive difference and positively impact yourself, but also those around you. Um but I got we, we got off there a little bit, but um let's kind of circle we back. We keep doing here. that for some reason. I know it, 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 <laughs> I'm really I'm digging this conversation because it's a lot of stuff that really needs to be discussed to libertarians because let, let's be real, Lane, right? When you talk about libertarians who are running for elected office, I'm going to say like probably 80% of them are nobodies. And I, I say that not trying to be rude. I'm, I'm just being honest. It's people who have a click and they're like, I'm going to run for president. And it's like, okay, 
what's your platform? I'm right. a libertarian. So, I'm principled. It's like, okay, that doesn't, exactly. that doesn't sell so, to average Americans. Gary, Gary explained this very, very well. He said, most of my time was spent on the campaign trail just explaining to people who, who I was. They didn't even know who he was. And Wild. every libertarian candidate that runs for president is going to run into that. They're going to have to go to every single event, shake hands with every single person in that room and say, my name is blank. I'm a libertarian. And the next thing out of that person's mouth is going to be, what's a libertarian? Because so they, they may have been exposed to only one kind before. Maybe they've only ever seen Vermin Supreme or maybe they've only ever seen Ron Paul. Those are two very different libertarians. <laughs> so they're going to be like, oh, What's a libertarian? Because they want to know what kind of libertarian are you? Are you the crazy one that wears a boot on your head or thinks that running around the room at convention during a business meeting, waving a dildo in the air is okay? Or are you the kind that sits and takes it seriously, dresses the part, looks the part? You know, I'm, I'm an anarchist at heart, but I'm a pragmatic person as far as electoral politics go with the LP. Would I love an anarchy based society? Yes. But are we able to even have that right now? I don't think so. No. Um, I think that is something that's going to have to be walked back to over generations. It is not something like Adam Kokesh says. You can just you can just legislate it away with a pen. You can just have ten executive orders on your desk and just abolish government department after government department. The country would descend into chaos immediately. And then people would say, oh, okay, we tried libertarianism, doesn't work. We tried anarchy, doesn't so work. Let's true. never do that again. Oh my God. You're like, you're literally like, you're saying my internal monologue. Cause I was actually at the gym today and I was, <laughs> I was, I was thinking this in myself. Cause I was like, you know, it's one thing for libertarians to talk about what we would like to do. It's another thing of actually doing it. And, and that's the thing that we have to get, like, we have to get past is that we can, we can talk in Facebook groups all we want about, you know, how great our libertarian ideas are in, in, you know, in in really not yet in practice, but in, in philosophy in, in when we're in our, our echo chambers and how great they'll be. But then when we actually like take a step and then go into the real world, like just, just remember when you tell that mom that she's no longer going to have the welfare check coming in to help pay for her kids meals, like that's going to have a real life consequence, not just for, for her, but for millions of other people like her. So it's important for libertarians to yes, be principled and yes, promote ideas that might be controversial, but to then have solutions behind the scenes that we're going to implement that are not government run, but are done by the, the private sector and to show, you know, that the value of charity versus welfare and to show, you know, the, the returns you re you get on charity and actually getting better services and, and you're getting, you know, more efficiency versus the welfare system. I mean, that's something that we need to, you know, promote more. Uh, and yet libertarians just don't seem to, to grasp the fact that, you know, we're, we're, a, a sliver, the, the tiniest of slivers of, of Americans right now is self-identified. That is, um, I'm sure a lot of Americans are actually libertarian. They just don't really realize it because they, they don't realize that that's, what and that's that the other are. mistake that a lot of libertarians make. They love to push that line of everybody's a libertarian. If they just understood libertarianism, <laughs> that's not true. No, it's not. It's there like saying, are literal a Dallas Cowboys fan. out there in the world who are, who are just as much dedicated to communism and think the exact same thing about communism that libertarians think about libertarianism. Well, yes. if they just understood communism, they would embrace it. We say that about libertarianism all the time. And, yep. and that is true for every conservative Republican, every socialist Democrat. There are a certain subset of people in all of those groups. It doesn't matter which one it is that it doesn't matter how well you explain libertarianism to it. They just don't believe in it. And you know yep. what? That's okay. Your job is not to convert everyone. And I did an episode back uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was on a book I've been reading, and it's um, How to Have uh, Impossible Conversations. And it's, it's a phenomenal read because it really helps you realize that when you're talking to somebody – it's not that they're approaching things just with malice. It's it's that they they genuinely, I'd say genuinely, nine times out of ten, they genuinely believe what they believe. And the reason they believe what they believe is because their own lived experiences. So it's good to like really 
kind of break down how they got to where they are. And, you know, one of the people that I, w- I would say that we didn't mention who has who might be running, I, and I don't know, and I've actually asked him on my show, is Justin Amash, who does a great job of explaining libertarian ideals, libertarian beliefs to people who are not libertarian. Um, you know, it's 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 refreshing to see someone who now is on a national stage in in a part of the national conversation whose Twitter account is is nothing but pro-liberty, um, you know, pro-liberty, but also pro-libertarian messaging. And it's reaching people on both the left and the right, people on the left who maybe are looking at him as, well, this is the guy who used to be a Republican, said no more being a Republican because, you know, of what's going on with Trump. And, you know, maybe I should start listening more to what he's saying. But then also on the right, you have people more in the Never Trump movement who are, who are saying, okay, well, what's this Justin Amash guy talking about? Like, why why is he believing and, and promoting the ideas that he's he's promoting and believing? Is it that he is just against Trump? Or is it that he's taking a principled stance against Trump? Or not even just against Trump, against the policies of Trump. I mean, Amash has been very vocal about trying to, to rein back the, the conflicts overseas. He's been very vocal about trying to, you know, curtail the, the mass surveillance in the, in the FISA courts. But these are things that President Trump has gone out of the way to, to continue to expand. And it's, it, kind of makes me smile because the things that he's trying to expand, like the FISA courts and like the mass surveillance, are now in turn being used against him and now biting him in the ass when he's trying to run for re-election as we've gone through this entire impeachment process. And a lot of the things that he's being impeached upon are due to the the, the FISA courts going after him and his campaign. Okay. It's due to the ability for them to have mass surveillance. It's 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 due to these, these you know, massive uh, government agencies that we've as both you know Republicans and Democrats, and I say we as Americans have pretty much said you know hey it, we don't agree with it, but we we we've got to have them right like they're keeping us safe. And now we're starting to see you know it start to be un, un you know unwound slowly at a time. You know we're starting to see what's actually behind the scenes, and I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to this. And it's it's I mean. <laughs> Ben Shapiro, I, I, there's a lot I don't like about Ben Shapiro, especially when it comes to foreign <laughs> policy, but it's funny, even listening to him today, I was driving home, and I was listening to his show, and he, number one, did a complete breakdown of Bernie Sanders, which was fantastic, and then he ended his show with a book review of Ludwig von Mises' Socialism, and I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Like, where is this guy, Ben? And it's cool to see that, like, our ideas are now being discussed on platforms like The Daily Wire from somebody like Ben Shapiro. Love him or hate him, but he's talking about Ludwig von Mises on a national stage that is easily one of the largest political podcasts out there. Like, that shows that at least our ideas now are getting beyond the confines of our libertarian echo chambers. We're reaching new people, and hopefully those ideas are starting to change some people's minds. And I I dare say, maybe a guy like Justin Amash could be someone who could, you know, take a step into the Libertarian Party, say, listen... We got to be credible and we got to be electable, but we also have to be pragmatic. I know people hate that word pragmatic, but it's pragmatic in the sense of, like you said, we can't just, you know, flip a switch and we have libertarian utopia overnight. It's going to be a a time consuming process and it's going to piss off a lot of people, both on the left and the right. But at least he would be maybe a, a, a person that we could look to, to, to kind of be that, that stepping stone to start getting us in the right direction. I agree. I think most people, I think I've, I pushed really hard last spring. I predicted three or four months before he left the party that he was going to leave the GOP. I was hoping that he would turn around and join the Libertarian Party. He turned around and joined the Independent Party. And from what I've read of his thoughts and statements and op-ed that he wrote when he left the party, I think honestly, Justin would prefer to just be Justin Amash, the representative from Michigan, and have no Paul, no party label whatsoever, whether it be L, I, G, R, D, whatever one you want to come up with, whatever letter you want to use. I think he would just prefer to be Justin Amash, and these are his principles. And that's it. But unfortunately, our political system doesn't work that way. And most of the pushback that I've gotten from people when I say I think Justin Amash would be a great LP presidential candidate is – we don't need any quote unquote Republican carpetbaggers. Well, the same way that there are libertarians that are forced to run as Republican because of ballot access issues in their state. And if you know anything about Michigan at all, they have straight ticket voting. So if you go into a voting booth in Michigan, what that means is you pick R or D or any whatever other letter you want, and then it automatically fills in all of the Republican candidates all the way down to the bottom of the ticket. So stupid. So if you run as a libertarian in Michigan for whatever race you want to run for, 
you might be in that column all by yourself. Well, that means that that voter now has to choose, okay, so do I only vote for I don't my state rep who's a libertarian that I really like? Or, and then I miss out on being able to vote for governor, U.S. Senate, president, when it's not a midterm election. You've got a full slate of candidates to think about. So when you think about the people that have an effect on your life and you live in a state that has straight ticket voting, well, running as a libertarian is not a smart idea because you might be over there all by yourself. So, and voters don't want to give that up. They don't want to give up voting for all of those other people on that ticket because they know that, you know, that voter turnout is what it is. It's low. So if they're going to the voting booth and voting for this one person who's in a column all by himself, what good is that going to do them at any other level of government? It's not going to help them. It's going to completely eliminate their voice from the process. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to give that up. So as much as Justin's district might love him, if he runs as libertarian, him being in that column all by himself is a really, really difficult place to be. So I can see why a libertarian would choose in a state like that to run as a Republican. And that's how I think of him. I don't think of him as a Republican that is not that is not a libertarian. I think of him as a libertarian that's not really a Republican. He never was. He was always more libertarian than any other member of Congress. And now he's left the GOP. That's a great thing. We should. We should applaud him for that. I have other clients and people that I've consulted with that have said, I'm thinking about leaving my party. And I'm always like, what can I do to help you? I have a friend who is in West Virginia who recently left the GOP and registered independent. He's a delegate. So that's um, Maryland and West Virginia are the states that have delegates instead of state reps. So he's at the state rep level. He left the GOP and went independent. That's awesome. If you have a liberty leaning state rep in your state, set a meeting with them. Go talk to them and say, why are you still a Republican? Or why are you still a Democrat? Why aren't you an independent? Why aren't you a libertarian? Come on, we're here. Join us. We're an army. We have some of the best activists in the country, I would say. We are the most dedicated people if we can unite behind someone. And I think that Justin could potentially do that um, if people can get over this idea that somehow he's not really a libertarian, which is like everyone's favorite insult within the libertarian party. And (laughs) it always cracks me up because as i've said you know i was gonna say i saw a libertarian and ron paul is a libertarian they are totally different libertarians but yet they're still libertarians yeah i saw a meme today and it it made me laugh so much it was like uh it was a pie chart and i was like who libertarians hate and it's like republicans democrats war and then like 75 percent of the pie chart was just other libertarians and it's so other libertarians like we We always try to out libertarian each other it's like what are we doing yeah, like, what are we doing? Like, why are we out libertarian each other? Like, I, I get that that's, like, it makes you feel good and, like, the, the virtue signal points to your own particular cliques and stuff. But, like, what what are you accomplishing? Like, what is your goal? Is your goal to be the best libertarian on the internet? Or is your goal to actually, like, make substantive changes in our in our lives? Like, what, what and do you And I feel like that is the core of this libertarian presidential nominating process. What kind of difference are you as a libertarian candidate for president trying to make for libertarians because as we've talked about it's there's a ballot access component that the other two parties don't have we have to consider that so do you want only half a million votes do you want only the half a million registered libertarians voting for you or do you want potentially four or five million other people who are not libertarians to vote for you maybe some of them join the party maybe we get up to a million registered libertarians. I think that'd be amazing. I don't think that that's going to happen in one election cycle. It's that's more like a 10 or 15 year plan, but any growth at all is good. And whether or not those people stay around, I I feel like a lot of the people that, that joined in 2016 because of Gary and then subsequently left. I think if you, if you surveyed those people, I think you would find that a lot of them left because they were just subjected to so much abuse within the party. Oh, and definitely. Not even a question. We have to be kinder to people. And I think Larry Sharp has said this, Kim Ruff has said this, like we just have to be kinder to each other and nicer to each other and just say, you know what? It's okay that I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to sit here online and trash you and call you a Nazi and dox you and tell people where you work so that you can get fired or whatever. Like this is just childishness. That is, you might as well go back to high school at that point. Just don't do that. And you know, and I know we're not really focusing on libertarian like chairmanship stuff, but like it starts from the top. And and I I've definitely had my squabbles with the the current chairman Nicholas Sarwark, but like 
going on the, the, the LP, like, Twitter, like, the official Libertarian Party Twitter, and, like, specifically targeting individuals that you don't like. Like, I know in Austin Peterson's campaign over in Missouri, he, and he got, I think it was, like, third place as a GOP candidate. Like, the Libertarian Party Twitter started, like, doing an entire threat against Austin. I'm like, that's, this is the opposite of what we need to do. Like, this is completely not helping trying to grow the movement. If anything, it's going to push people away. And we have to be a party that, I mean, we don't, we are not in a position to be like saying, no, 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 you can't join our party. We're super special over here. We're super, like, we're so good. We don't need your help. It's like, no, 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 no. We we are not in a position at all to, to start like saying, no, you cannot be a libertarian <laughs> because we, we right now are like, what, like 5% if that of a national vote and how many of those people are just protest votes? Like, how right. many of them are actually libertarians? And I think the answer is, exactly. is honestly not much. Now, let me kind of give my perspective. I'm hoping that we get someone who's running for president who is going to be a great salesperson who sells the message of liberty to people and, and it inspires them, much like what Ron Paul did. I mean, get people excited about liberty to, to show them, you know, why ending the war on drugs is important, why getting rid of these crazy regulations is important, why ending occupational licensing and, and civil assets forfeiture is so important, why ending these, these massive wars that we've been in for, you know, 70, 80, 90 years is the most important thing that, that we need somebody who can who can do that on a national stage but i i challenge people who are in their their localities who are libertarians to run for local office show people the value of what we're doing in in your own personal lives it's going to mean so much more because number one it's going to impact them directly and number two they probably know who you are so if they know who you are they can look at you and say okay this isn't the person with a boot in their head and i'm not trying to you know talk bad about vermin supreme he's got a role and he's been doing that role for a while and and you know he he has a niche and it, it works for him but be a real person like in your own community like show what we're doing and show how these ideas are going to help the, the people in your community so i challenge you run for school board run for mayor run for city council run for legislature whatever it may be in your your localities take that step be the change you wish to see not only in the world but for libertarians and libertarian party so with that lane where do you kind of see the libertarian party as we head towards 2020 but also in a post 2020 world I think that libertarians need to be honest with themselves, and I think the most important issue facing many libertarians is retaining ballot access. If we do not nominate a candidate that has broad appeal beyond just registered libertarians, then we will not keep ballot access. So either you need to plan for that contingency, meaning you need to stock your war chest up so that when you have candidates that want to run at the state level, you have the money to pay to get ballot access again, or maybe you have to swallow your pride a little bit and vote for an electable candidate that is appealing to more people than just the radical faction of the party that wants to vote in a straw poll or we need someone who's electable beyond because let's face it this election is quote unquote the most important election a libertarian will not win it so please remember that and beyond 2020, we need to have a 10-year plan. That 10-year plan cannot be discussed if half of the states in the, in the country, you can't run as a libertarian in them without paying a significant amount of money or going to a significant amount of trouble. That ends in one thing and one thing only. That means every single candidate that runs in those states has to fight a two-front war. They have to be the candidate. They also have to be the petitioner to get ballot access. Having to split your resources into two things like that is extremely detrimental. And I really want libertarians to consider the ballot access issue when they're going to convention. Um, I, we talked before we came on air. I, so far, have not planned on going to convention yet um, for a lot of reasons. And not all of them have to do with the candidates that are running. I do see good things from some of these candidates. We've talked about a lot of the negatives, mostly because I see a lot of negatives that have been they're they're products of lessons that we have already learned. I would hate for candidates to repeat the mistakes that we've made in the past. Everything is on most everything is online now. It's in interviews, it's in polls, it's in documentation of some kind or just institutional history within the LP, like where did this campaign go wrong? We've already learned those lessons. So take care to not repeat them. You know, make sure that you're traveling, make sure that you're going to the events if you're really serious about going and put your heart into it. Because if you don't put your heart into it, 
you're going to have to do the worst thing imaginable, which is go to convention and some of the delegates don't even know who you are (laughs) and just magnify that by about a thousand times. And that is the battle that you face beyond 2020. If you are trying to run for office, that's just going to happen to you again and again and again. So you have to make that a priority, make it a priority to meet people, make it a priority to be involved legislatively, even if you're not elected. And that will only help you in the future. So I think Larry Sharp has it right. We've got to look at a 10 and a 20 year plan. So I would say libertarians plan for the future, plan on electability, plan on pragmatism. Even if you don't want to be a pragmatist, plan on it for five years or 10, give it some time. We've been doing this since the seventies. And while we have made significant gains in some areas, we've also got a very big PR, media management, uh, image management issue within our party because we are, as you, as all of you know, if you're a libertarian, we're all individualists. We all think our way is the best way and anybody who doesn't think so is not a real libertarian or whatever kind of insult you want to sling at your fellow libertarians. But ultimately, that's not helpful. So candidates just need to remember that. And I hope I, I wish every presidential candidate well. I, I hope to see really well organized campaigns going forward with great activists working for all of the candidates, because ultimately it's great that any of them even decided to take on this process because it is a process and it can be very time consuming, very arduous, very difficult, very taxing. Oops, I said a bad word. And <laughs> Everybody just got triggered at the end of the show. Taxing. Oh no, what? everyone's triggered. <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of where I see everything going. Everybody has to look at the big picture. We have to look at everything on a macro level, on a national level. We can't just be so concerned with sticking the the middle finger to the government that we elect a candidate that only gets half a million votes. And we, you know, for lack of a better term, we screw ourselves on ballot access for four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, Elaine, I've been sitting here like pretty much the entire conversation we've been having just nodding my head in agreement because, I mean, honestly, like for two years worth of this show, this kind of summarizes my problems I've had with the Libertarian Party, but also what I think the solution for the Libertarian Party would be to actually be relevant. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show to speak truth and speak common sense. <laughs> You're but welcome. What I want people to do is to be able to go ahead and stay up to date with all that's happening, not only in the world, but also kind of what your commentary is and also your perspective and hopefully some more of your common sense wisdom that you've been applying here to the Brian Nichols Show. So Elaine, where can folks go ahead and follow you both on, on social media, but also um, if they want to, to get in touch with you. So again, as you mentioned earlier, Josie and I are not the same person. I have been, we've both been very clear about that on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so I am libertarian redhead. She is the libertarian redhead official, I think. Something so like that, yeah. you can go ahead and follow us both. But I am, if you want to follow the person that is speaking to you right now, I am libertarian redhead. I'm on Facebook and on Twitter. And I am, I, I really need to get in the habit of doing more of these podcasts because I, after I do them, I'm always really happy that I did, but I always dread like scheduling them and prepping for them and things like that. So I'm really glad we did this. It was great fun. I want to do it again when we have something else to talk about. Um, maybe next time we'll stay on track a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I and, and honestly, like I, I, without cutting you off, like I love shows like this because we had an entire like we were going to talk about individual candidates and we were going to go through about you know New Hampshire and I was like screw this like the conversation's going we're going to have a conversation about what we want to talk about and honestly and this is probably my bias but I know my audience pretty well my audience wants to hear like us have a real conversation people hate softball questions people hate like you know sticking to like this regimented structure like People want to feel like they're involved in the conversation. People want to be able to feel like they 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 can see like the the conversation ball being tossed back and forth, and it's real, right? It, it's a real conversation. Mm-hmm. We're having you know a real dialogue back and forth about honestly a very real issue that we're facing as libertarians. So I'm hoping that people take away our conversation today and and you know walk into 2020. I say walk into 2020. Continue walking forward in 2020. Um, you know with, with a little bit more sense of what they can do as individuals to help promote liberty, um, but also kind of like where we stand as a party. So, I mean, Elaine, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show. And, and as you mentioned, yes, we will absolutely be sure to have you on the show again, especially as we get towards 
the uh, the point where we actually have a candidate who is officially running as a libertarian uh, with the big L next to their name and being that sole candidate running against Donald Trump and the inevitable socialist running as a Democrat. But uh, but with that, Elaine, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. It's an absolute pleasure, and we're looking forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This was so much fun, and I would love to come back. All right, guys, what did you think? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Elaine Joan, the Libertarian Redhead, over on my show, The Brian Nichols Show, part of the We Are Libertarians Network. You can go ahead and find my show wherever podcasts are found, Stitcher, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, I guess they call it now. Literally anywhere you get a podcast, you can find it there. Um, or you can say, hey, uh, hey, you know, I don't want to say the wake word, but hey, Google. It, it didn't, nope, it didn't. Play The Brian Nichols Show, and it would do it. Yeah, well, like, you want to try it? Hey, Google, play The Brian Nichols Show. Okay, The Brian Nichols Show. I'll pick up where you left off. That's so cool. Hey, Google, stop. So ask Google, ask Alexa, ask Spotify. Can you ask Spotify? Ask Siri? Ask ask your best friend. Play The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, and then be sure to go ahead and give me a, a follow on social media at Liberty, both on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. And as always, to you great Liberty podcast supporters, please continue to support Caleb. If you have not subscribed to his podcast yet, then get your butts over to Apple Podcasts. Give him a subscribe. Give him a rate and review. And while you're there, I'd appreciate it too. But guys, it has been a blast filling in for Caleb this week. Be sure to uh, come back here Next week, you'll have another fun-filled episode with uh, with yours truly. But hey, guys, it was a blast. So, signing off for Elaine Joan here on Maliberty. We'll see you next week.